If men ruled the world, nodding and looking at your watch would be deemed an acceptable response to, I love you. When your wife slash girlfriend really needed to talk to you during the game, she would appear in a little box in the corner of the screen during a timeout. If men ruled the world, tanks would be far easier to rent. Instead of an expensive engagement ring, you could present your wife-to-be with a giant foam hand that said, you're number one. People would never talk about how fresh they feel. Telephones would automatically cut off after 30 seconds of conversation. If women ruled the world, men would sit around and wonder what we are thinking. I probably shouldn't read this one. PMS would be a legitimate defense in court. A man would no longer be considered a good catch simply because he's breathing. Men would bring drinks, chips, and dip to women watching soap operas. Men would learn phrases like, I'm sorry, I love you, you're beautiful, of course you don't look fat in that outfit. All toilet seats would be nailed down. And if women ruled the world, there would be no wars, just a bunch of countries not speaking to each other. And so we have the clash of two of the most diverse perspectives there are, that between men and women. Each of us in our lives is committed to our own perspective. In fact, we very often during the course of our lives wish other people could just see things our way. But we know in reality that the world would not function best that way. We can joke about it all we want, but but men know that we would not want to live in a world devoid of the perspective of women. Neither would women want to live in a world devoid of the perspective of men. The same thing is true in the church. For the church to be its best and healthiest and strongest and most effective, it should not be limited to one perspective. It should be diverse. In fact, without diversity, the church will be stunted in its growth And stunted in its effectiveness. So this morning, following up last week, I was so encouraged by Philip. Weren't you encouraged by Philip as he brought the word last week? I want us to continue to think about diversity. I want us to think about why God created it and what he intends to accomplish through it. And to understand that the place truly must be a a place of diversity. So if you have your Bibles open this morning, I want to ask you to turn in the New Testament to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And when you found 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to hear read together the word of the living God. First Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 4, this is the word of the Lord. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. And now verse 12. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. 
And now verse 18. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Always, we're grateful that you're the kind of God that speaks to your people, speaks truth into our lives so that we know how best to live our lives, not only for our own good, but to bring you glory so that others may know how to live their lives and and come to honor and glorify you as well because that's the best way that we can live our lives. So toward that end and with that goal, we pray that you would bless us as we come together around your word, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, may be seated. You know, when you have multiple children, you're not supposed to favor one over the other. You're supposed to love each child equally. And in times that could be a challenge because children are different. Some children are easy. They are pliable. They're obedient. Other children are more difficult, stubborn, willful, disrespectful. They, they challenge everything. Well, I think the churches Paul planted are like his children. Some were so easy, like the Philippians. Read that book. Paul loves them. Throughout that book, joy, joy, joy. Loves the Thessalonians. Man, the, what the gospel did among them. Paul writes that, that their transformation and stories about it rang out around the world. Loves the Thessalonians. But then we come to the Corinthians. And this church, it puts Paul's parenting skills to the test. Because there were people in the church in Corinth that were rebellious. They were disobedient. They were kind of in your face with their sin. Yeah, this is how I'm going to live my life. What are you going to do about it? And so Paul has a challenge. They're mouthy. They're disrespectful to Paul. And so Paul's got to keep them thinking in the right way and living in truth, particularly when it comes to this idea of diversity. Now, before we get to chapter 12, we need to look at chapter 11. And we can kind of piece together what was going on in the church in Corinth that led Paul to write what he writes about diversity. By the time Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians, the practice of the Lord's Supper has moved from happening every day, as it did in the early church at the time of Pentecost, to a more formal celebration of the Lord's Supper, say once a week, uh, or maybe not even that often, but always... The celebration of the Lord's Supper included a meal. Now, this church in Corinth, by God's plan, was comprised of all types of people. Jews and Gentiles, Greeks and Romans, and all sorts of different classes, social classes. That's the usual composition of the churches that Paul planted. Well, in Corinth, when it came time to celebrate the Lord's Supper the rich people would arrive early because, well, they had more free time. And they would bring food that rich people ate from their homes to the church where the Lord's Supper was celebrated. And they would just start to eat the food that they brought. Of course, they washed it down with plenty of wine, so much wine that there was enough to get drunk on. And so the rich did not wait for the others to arrive, the day workers, Maybe those that worked on the docks, maybe the slaves in the city. 
they went ahead and ate. And so by the time those people came, there was nothing left for them to eat. And they went hungry. And so this classism system that existed in the church became painfully obvious, especially when it came time to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so Paul writes in chapter 11, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions, schismata, where we get the word schism. There are divisions among you. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Then in verse 33, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. Is anyone, if anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And so if you want to talk about in-your-face kind of sin, this is it. The Lord's Supper is supposed to be a reminder of Christ, His love, His sacrifice. All those people gathered in Corinth are only because of the lavish grace that God has poured out on them. And yet they are using the remembrance of the gospel, the celebration of the gospel to divide and humiliate and shame. And so what they were doing was the anti-gospel in every way. And so we come into chapter 12. And Paul continues to hit on this theme of diversity. That God has intentionally built into the church for our good. And how within diversity there must be unity. So look with me in verses 4 through 6. Paul writes, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. And so here we have these rapid-fire staccato verses, this back and forth, different, same, different, same, different, same. In the Greek text, the word for different is actually a noun, and it's the first word that appears in the verse to give emphasis to it. A difference of gifts, a difference of service, a difference of working. And so the church is to be made up of beautiful diversity. The word for same used in these verses means something that's identical with. So please notice in these verses that which is exactly the same. Verse 4, the same spirit. Verse 5, the same Lord. Verse 6, the same God. And so here is the Trinity stated backwards. The Spirit, Jesus the Lord, and God. Three in one, always the same, never changing, unified and yet diverse. Our confession reads, These three are one true eternal God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, although distinguished by their personal properties. And so no matter how diverse we may be, no matter how many cultures or languages or ethnicities or socioeconomic statuses are represented in the church, we all equally have the triune God in common. And it's this triune God who from the time of creation has embedded diversity as something good and right and beneficial. I'm so glad this happens to, happens to be up here this morning. Look, Genesis, 
Chapter 1, verse 21. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock, according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So here is the diversity of God's creation, existing together, mixing it up in the Garden of Eden under one God. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so human beings... People like you and me, he created after the God kind. But within the humanity, there is diversity. And so God created, Scripture says, man in his own image, male and female, he created them. Why did God create Eve? Well, God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. To help Adam what? Tend the garden? Certainly so but perhaps to help Adam see in the beauty and in the abundance of all that God created what he might not have noticed on his own. Man needed someone else to be complete. And I have to believe that the same would have been true if God had decided to create Eve first. He would have looked at Eve and he would have said, it is not good for a woman to be alone, and he would have created Adam for her. This diversity is vital. We need to see life. We need to get perspective from people who view the world in ways that our limited perspective does not allow us to see it. How many of you have been to Entrust Training here at Redeemer? Okay, oh, I like y'all, that's good. So if you've been to this training, you've heard this story of Kathy's and my trip to Colonial Williamsburg two weeks after we were married. Now, I am a history lover. I mean, I love history. Dates, facts, give them to me. I love it. Kathy is more of a lover of nature and beautiful things, all right? So we arrive in in Colonial Williamsburg, and I begin to salivate because it's like a, a forest of those white historic signs. You know, the ones with the black letters that give you all that information? They're everywhere, and I'm so excited. And so I spot the first one across the street from us. And I notice that Kathy is looking at the same sign at which I'm looking. And I begin to think, hmm, this is good, new wife of mine. Well, I finish reading the sign and and I'm ready to move to the next one. But Kathy's still looking at the sign. And I'm kind of puzzled because I know it doesn't take her that long to read. And then I notice Kathy's not looking at the sign at all. Kathy was looking at the beautiful, lustrous cat sleeping under the budding tree by which this sign was planted. And in her artist's mind, Kathy was probably thinking, oh, how would I paint that beautiful sleeping cat under the bush? Well, being the sensitive guy that I am, I said, oh, honey, take all the time you need. Drink in that image. Who believes I said that? (laughs) I didn't say that. 
with, uh, with a hint of belittling disgust, I said, come on, we're in Williamsburg. You can see an old cat anywhere. <laughs> but a world with just facts and dates is not nearly as beautiful as a world with facts and dates and cats and bushes and beauty. And so I'll say that through the years, I've learned to appreciate the cats and the beauty, and I think Kathy has learned to appreciate history. And both of our worlds are enriched because we see it from the perspective of the other person. The eternally consistent, one and only true and living God created a diverse world and church that would have him in common. And so I was, as I was thinking about all this, about unity and diversity, the phrase kept coming to my mind that I see, say at every single myriad wedding at which I officiate. After the vows have been exchanged and after the rings have been given and after I pronounce your now man and wife, I say this, what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Scripture often uses marriage language to describe the church. The church is called the bride of Christ. Jesus is called the bridegroom. The gospel unites us not only to Christ, we are one with him, but it also unites us, very different people, with varied perspectives to one another. We are one in him. And what God has joined together, Christ to us and us to Christ and to one another, we should not allow what God has joined together to be put asunder, to be parted, divided, separated. In your bulletin this morning, we read from John chapter 17, Jesus' prayer in the upper room. I'll read it again. Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even, have loved them even as you have loved me. Listen, oneness among diverse people is evidence to the world that the gospel is real. And that the gospel is powerful. Unity among diverse people is testimony that Jesus truly did come from the Father, sent by the Father, because the Father so loved the world. When diverse people are one, it proclaims the gospel. But it seems to me that the church allows, that we allow the church to be sundered in different ways. The church divides among socioeconomic lines, racial lines, theological lines, worship style lines, music lines. It seems that we have difficulty resisting this, the power and this magnetic pull of the homogeneous growth principle, which is just another way of saying that birds of a feather flock together. That's the path of least resistance, isn't it? It just happens naturally. Apart from our efforts, birds of a feather flock together. But when you have people who look the same and think the same and have the same experiences in life, how complete can your view 
be of God. And what do you communicate about the gospel and the kingdom of God and what it's like? The book of Acts describes the early church as racially diverse. There was diversity in socioeconomics. Some were wealthy, some had nothing, and you know the story. Those who were wealthy brought what they had, and they gave it to the church so that those with nothing could have something. The early church put a system in place to make sure one race was not discriminated against the other, or one favored over the other. I know that we can justify why we divide, why those divisions are good and necessary, an unavoidable reality that we just must accept. On a pragmatic level, we can justify just about anything. But the justifications that the church uses, that denominations use to be homogeneous, I think would be more honestly termed preferences. And I think that when we are willing to be honest, we're at a a good starting point. I think we should just admit that we like what we like, we want what we want because we like it and we want it, right? There are things that we like and things that we want in our church, So if we're honest about our preferences, then we can begin to decide what value to place on personal preferences and how tightly we should hold them if our personal preferences end up being what sunder the body of Christ. Then we can determine if we're honest which preferences we can release in order to advance the gospel and build the church as God wants it built A diverse community of believers by God's design. Look in verse 12. The body's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are one, many they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. And then verse 18. But in fact, God has arranged. God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. God, there's there's no doubt about it. God desires diversity in his body. God ordains that his body be a diverse place. Why? Why is diversity so vital? Diversity allows us to know God in his fullness. Diversity allows us to know God in its fullness. Think about the experiences that make up the human experience. Joy, happiness, beauty, love, surprise, sadness, suffering, sickness, tragedy, cruelty, trials, temptations, all of it. You and I as individuals don't necessarily experience those in our lives as individuals, but as a diverse community, we might experience them. And then we'll have the opportunity to see how God's truth speaks into every human experience. We would have the opportunity to see the gospel, the difference the gospel makes as it is at work in the midst of each of these experiences and know and be convinced 
that the gospel does, in fact, change everything. The more we see God in not only our experiences and from our perspective, but from the experiences and perspectives of others, the more we'll know him and the more we'll understand him. And the more we'll appreciate his vastness. That's the way we do in our human relationships. When you discover somebody can do something you didn't know that they could do. Maybe you have your accountant over for dinner. And while you're eating, the pipes in the kitchen explode and water starts to go everywhere. And your accountant gets up and quickly fixes the pipes. And he says, oh yeah, I used to be a plumber before I was an accountant. And you say, oh, I never knew that about you. But you're certainly thankful, aren't you, in that moment? The same thing when we see God at work in diverse ways, in diverse people's lives. Lord, I never knew you could do that until I saw you do it for her, until I saw you do it for him. But once you know he can do it, there's so much more reason to love and worship him. And the more we love and worship the Lord, the stronger and healthier we become. We learn this through diversity. The poor who must trust the Lord for every meal and every provision can teach the rich something about God's provision that they may never have known on their own because they have never really truly had to pray, give us this day our daily bread. The rich can teach the poor. Those who have suffered oppression and marginalization can teach those who have kind of always been in the in crowd something about hope in Christ and the deliverance of Christ because they've had to search scripture for that hope and pray to Jesus to bring it about. So it doesn't matter what the diversity is. I don't care if it's star-bellied sneeches and sneeches with no stars. It doesn't make any difference. The reality is that God uses diversity to teach all of us more and more about who he is in every situation of life. Diversity is God's idea for the health of his church to prevent us from being narrow and closed in upon ourselves, to open us up to who God is and what he can do for all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. And so what you and I have to do is be intentional about crossing borders, crossing boundaries that divide. Of course, there are communities in America and around the world that are homogeneous. Everybody kind of looks the same racially. But in all of those communities, there's diversity, at least on a socioeconomic level. That should be reflected in the church. In our community here in Charleston, look, we have it all. That's why I love to be part of the city. I hope you love to be part of the city. We have great diversity here. Socioeconomic diversity, yes. Cultural diversity, national diversity. Sometimes we have over 20 countries represented when we have an international student function here at the church. We have racial diversity. And so the church in Charleston, including ours, for our own sake and for our own health and for our own growth, must be intentional about crossing borders to achieve the diversity that God created and proclaimed to be good. We need people different from us to help us see the cats under the bushes because we might miss them since we're focused only on the facts. 
The gospel is so beautiful and so full and so powerful. And diversity proves that. So what do we do again? We're intentional about being diverse. We're intentional about seeking relationships with other kinds of people. With not being satisfied with flocking together with birds of, the, of like feather all the time. But it won't happen on its own. We have to be intentional about it. And this isn't a white church problem. Not just coming down on us. I'm not coming down on the PCA. This is a church problem. Everybody likes to huddle with their own kind. Rich with rich, poor with poor, black with black, white with white. We've got to evaluate what it is that we must keep doing as a church to be faithful to the truth of God. We have to evaluate what we must keep doing as a church to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then we need to be willing to let go of those things that prevent us from crossing over boundaries and breaking down what divides. We can ask ourselves, what's merely preference in my church life? What could I give up for the sake of the gospel? The gospel isn't about our preferences. And so we can commit. For the sake of the kingdom and the advance of the gospel, for the sake of diversity, I will do what I prefer not to do. How beautiful and how powerful the good news of Jesus Christ will reveal itself to be among diverse people who come together and love each other and their diverse communities for Jesus' sake. May it be a reality through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. And I pray that we would hear only your truth this morning. Father, in my attempt to be faithful to your word, if I've spoken amiss, I pray that you will let those things be forgotten. But where your truth has been proclaimed, Lord, I pray that it will change our lives. So clear from your word how different you make your body. Not just in the gifts that you give to us, though you do that as well. This passage clearly speaks of that. But the kinds of people you bring into your church. Lord, that is the gospel. Jesus, that's why you came. To tear down the wall that separated people. Lord, your people for so long built that wall. And they were wrong. And your word says, Jesus, that you came to tear down the wall that divides one race from the other. One group from the other. Because every human being stands in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ and its saving power. And so I pray that you would convince us of that. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be this tapestry as a church. With all sorts of different threads and colors and patterns running through it. So it can be a testimony, Lord, to this world. Look what the Lord can do. Look how he can bring together so many different people and make them one in Christ. What a powerful testimony to your power that would be, not only to us, but to the watching world. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us accomplish that. Help us realize it will just happen on its own. We have to be intentional. We have to call on you and the power of your spirit to make it happen. So you show us how to do it, Lord, and we'll follow you. We commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name.
Amen.